Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 145 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at some of the best EV chargers on the market in a discussion with Kempower. This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap, the free-to-download app that helps EV drivers search, plan, and pay for their charging. Before we start, I wanted to know if anybody had any thoughts or comments on the new audio on the podcast. Producer Aaron has been doing some great work fixing my voice and putting the music over the top. I'm assuming from the lack of negative feedback that this works for listeners. Let me know otherwise. evmusings at gmail.com. Our main topic of discussion today is Kempower. If you've listened to this podcast at all, you'll know that we rate the Kempower charging units very highly. They're designed to allow load balancing between multiple units sharing high voltage source. Each unit only gets the power they need at that time, and any spare power is channeled to other units that might need it more. Kempower are currently installed in numerous countries across the world, but here in the UK, they're limited to the hubs being developed by Osprey Charging. We chatted with Osprey Charging back at the start of the season if you want to hear Ian Johnston's thoughts on Kempower and their hubs. But today, I'm delighted to be joined by Tommy Ristimaki, the CEO of Kempower. Welcome, good morning, good afternoon, how are you? Yeah, how are you? And uh, good, good afternoon and everything like that, Gary. That's uh, nice to be here. Delighted to have you. Can you bring the listeners quickly up to speed with your specific journey to electric vehicles and ultimately to Kempower. Did you drive an electric vehicle before joining the company or was that a result of your work? Not actually not, but I was working with a lot of projects developing electric vehicles actually. So so my background is actually from the power electronics industry, from electrification, from the wider point of view, from industrial side with frequency converter, electric motor control for years. Uh, I think more than 10 years in different industrial groups working with uh, what you call electric drives. And then I took a, let's say, sidestep into the vehicles in 2011, working with the early e-mobility, but I was on the vehicle side. So working with heavy vehicle electrification with a lot of hybrid systems, fully electric buses, uh, uh, you name it, uh, from that point, marine electrification. And then actually in 2019, got a really chance to step out of the vehicle, besides the vehicle. And then it also became relevant to become an EV driver when you're producing uh, electric vehicle chargers. And that was uh, kind of a learning experience. Even worked almost, I would say, almost 10 years with electric vehicles. You didn't know actually how the charging world works before you became uh, electric vehicle driver yourself. Indeed. Uh, what uh, what EV do you have at the moment? I have a Tesla Model S. Uh, still a 2018, the old one, waiting eagerly for the new one. It's been was supposed to be delivered last November, but we all know how that goes at the moment. <laughs> Let's move on a little bit and talk about Kempower. Now, I believe that famously, the sort of predecessor parents company for Kempower, Kempi, was a welding company that then moved into DC power sourcing, uh, providing power for the CERN particle accelerator, amongst other things. What was the what was the move from that into EV charging? How did that happen? And it's, it's actually, it can be still a welding company and actually very successful at that. So it, it's more or less that the owners saw that we have an existing DC power know-how 
an application know-how from uh, basically demanding application DC power. So it was kind of a internal company group startup from the beginning. And then now, now at uh, let's say within the four years, it has uh, it's it's a hundred percent standalone company inside the group. Uh, I think we are publicly listed, but the major owner is still still the Tempe Group. Ah, okay. And your the company itself is based in Finland. Where whereabouts are you operating? So, uh, how how do you mean where where to operate? Our charters are in all the inhabited continents at the moment, but. Uh, Let's say how our company is situated. Uh, the headquarters factories are in Lahti, Finland. So a little bit southeast from, from Helsinki, about 100 kilometers. So not, not too far. But ex- actually, we have offices now in eight different uh, uh, countries in Europe, including UK. We'll come back and talk about that in a second. But uh, what, what are the different functional areas that Kempower are involved with? I mean, obviously, you've got vehicle charging. Now, I believe you also have something that deals with bus charging as well. Is that right? Yeah, I, I would like to call that vehicle charging. I, I consider even boats as vehicles. They just move on water. And maybe, maybe in the future that the airplane could be considered as one as well when it comes popular. So all sorts of moving things which require charging. I like the idea of charging aircraft. That's a big thing that I'm into in uh, on the podcast. I'm a big fan of electric aviation. So as soon as that uh, kicks off. That's going to be absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that's really cool. Cool when that, that happens. Yeah. So let let's see. I'm betting Norway be, will be the first one because it makes all the sense in the world in their country. Oh yeah, absolutely. Now in the UK, you're famously known for the S series load balancing units, but those aren't the only ones that you produce. Talk to me a little bit about the uh, the products that that Kempower produce. I think the first uh, first product we came out was actually our T series movable charging units uh, that are connected to three-phase power on the wall and you can move it to uh, change it to DC power having 40 kilowatt out of the let's say unit that you don't need to install you just connect to the wall and, and actually as a curiosity the first customer for that was also in UK we sold the first unit to Dennis Eagle carpet trucks with their project when they were developing their first electric models and then, uh, actually, we have also the, from the S series, we have so-called uh, standalone chargers, so uh, more or less similar to everybody else with some benefits. But we have certain markets, let's say the early markets, who don't really get the point with the satellite and the power distribution. We have uh, certain, let's say, public tenders that you need to comply with a similar box with the two cables kind of a solution. So we do have that as well. But when we're looking at bus markets, then uh, it gets more complicated having this through the roof charging, pentagraphs, uh, different solutions in, in uh, bus and truck depots on how to have the cables accessible to, to people and, and not to get the trucks and buses. Let's say if, if you have a, let's say, bus depot full of satellites like you have personal car charging with you, it, it's like a bowling alley for a bus driver. So you need to have a more clever solutions how to get uh, the sites accessible. So there we have some some special solutions. Oh, that makes sense. Um, now, as I say, you're you're known particularly in the UK for the load balancing unit. So, uh, what point did somebody sit down and think we are generally charging by linking the power to the actual unit itself, rather than going and looking at linking the power to the overall availability and balancing it? From that point of view, who came up 
with the concept of load balancing? I think from the idea, it, it came from the point of view that having a limited grid connection, that you have only so, so much power available on the site, then you have a limited space. And uh, we have believed from the beginning that electric vehicles will be not, not moving in ones and twos, and it will come a real let's say, movement, and, and there will be masses of cars moving to electricity, so you need to be able to serve larger fleets. So I think earliest drawing of the dynamic solution with the not full, I think, from 2014, already before founding the actual charging company when looking at the concept from our chief engineer. So I, I think it's an idea which has been cooking for a while and waiting for the market to come. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, although now it's here, I think it's it's an absolute... Yeah, it, it's now here, and, and actually our group, uh, it was still with the name of Kempi. We did, delivered the first DC charter already in 2013-14, but then there was not a reasonably big market actually to, to, to make the decision to found a company around the charging. So there was these 20 kilowatt Sadeumo DC chargers. Well, I think we delivered eight or ten as a test installation within Finland for early Nissan Leafs. I was in a discussion last week, I think, with Ian Johnston from uh, Osprey Charging. And the question that I put to him is, you know, these camp power charges are fantastic. Why don't you put them everywhere? And if I could paraphrase his, his answer, it was, well, they're not necessarily suitable to go in at every particular site. But you've just said that they were originally put in because it helped with sites that had low voltage. So is there an ideal site for a Kemp power charger? Or do you think, yeah, you can put them in wherever you want? Yep, basically. But if it's also the need of the customer, if the end customer thinks that they have a limited amount needed or, or it's convenient to have a low power only there that people spend more time in the supermarket next to it, or you, you have a, like an early market and then uh, basically... I would consider like Northern Finland, Northern UK, maybe we have less electric vehicles. Maybe it's clever to have a, originally like a single charger still. But I think in the developed market, I think uh, with the combination of different things, uh, our solution is quite flexible. You can have low power, high power, uh, different amount of outputs. I think it, it, it is suitable, suitable for most, mostly anywhere. Let's just talk about flexibility there. You mentioned it uh, a few seconds ago. What sort of flexibility does the ChargePoint operator have with, for example, the software on the machine? Let me give you a, a scenario. I'm of the opinion that all DC fast charges should automatically stop at 80% state of charge. Now, if the user wants to go higher than that, absolutely, they can do that. But it has to be a conscious decision to restart the charge rather than a default. Can that sort of functionality be programmed into the Kempower S-series units? Yeah, we, we can have those limitations. That's, that's basically quite easy when you have the charging control in your own hands. But it's, I, I think it's more or less how the CPOs work and how their platforms are capable of having different options. But is that a bit of functionality that the charge point operators manage and control or is it something that you manage and control on behalf of them so would they have to say to you i want this particular functionality put in yeah 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 that that's fairly easy to do having the limits limits on on the, on those like 80 percent state of charge 
I, I think that's not very common in uh, in in the CPO world that people have this. I'm not 100% sure how our other, other charger manufacturers can do that, but for us, that's pretty simple if somebody would like to go that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure anyone would. I mean, I've spoken to a number of people who think that that should be something we should be discussing. There, there is a big problem in the UK with a lot of new EV owners coming in and saying, oh, I, you know, I'm charging up to 100% every time. And as you know, and I know, when you get above 80, 85%, the charge rate drops so low that the amount of time that you spend hogging a charger waiting for it to go to 100% is is quite high. And if it was to automatically stop at 80%, that would obviously free up charges a lot uh, a lot quicker than letting it go to 100%. It is true, but it also kind of answers our dynamic system the way where you move the power to the next guy. It actually helped with this situation that people keep hogging the, let's say, the charging spot too long. And it's not really if they stop at 80% or, or are they actually moving away. That's a bigger problem that you are actually blocking the site from the point of view. Even worse if the diesel car blocks, blocks the site. But basically it, it's the idea that even you stop the charge, the car will still be there. So that kind of in the dynamic system, you don't really care if, if, if they charge more. It's, it's more or less uh, if you would like to, let's say, protect the health of the battery. Uh, by staying lower in the in, but should be actually settable in the in the cars. I don't know if it's in all, at least what we have home and in Tesla and, and my wife's ID4, we can do that. But I don't know in in all cars, can you actually limit the state of charge from the car side? Again, I think it varies. I've, I've got the ID3 and I can do it on mine, so uh, you know I'm quite happy with that. But uh, just sort of looping back there to something that you you talked about. We have the problem, as you've already said, of overstay. So somebody plugs the car in, wanders off to do whatever they want to do. The car hits the maximum charge, it stops, but the car is still blocking the charger. The charger is still connected. It's not pulling any power, but it is stopping somebody from using that charger. So one of the ways that a number of charge point operators have got around doing this is, is a Tesla comes to mind, is overstay feeds. As long as the charger is still connected, regardless of whether it's actually putting power through or not, an individual will get charged for that. Now, that's fairly easy to to implement. But one of the other things that I'd like to see, and again, it may just be me, is can we make it so that the charge itself is only stopped? And when I say stopped, I mean the payment for that charge is only processed when the connector is put back onto the actual stand because one of the other issues that occurs a lot in the UK and I've got to assume in other places with certain charge point designs is that people remove the connector from the vehicle and then they drop it on the floor rather than putting it back where it should be which damages the head so if we had some sort of functionality which says well until you've physically relocated that charge connector back into the unit, it will still charge you for any power that goes through. So if you then drive off, somebody else comes up, picks that charger up off the floor and plugs it in, their charge will be uh, paid for by you. Interesting idea. That's a good development idea in the, in the point of view that we don't have sensors in the pl- holder at the moment. So, you, of course, there is no feedback if you don't have some measurement way. At least we don't do that. We we basically allow the thing, if you are still connected to the car, the CPO could, let's say, charge the customer, but not if, if 
not at least today with our products, because we want to keep the holders simple. But that's a development idea for the future. Good, put it on the list then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's probably fairly easy to do, but adds complexity to the holder. So, of, of course, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, who was behind the design of the user interface on the S series? Because in my opinion, it's one of the best on the market. You know, you've got a reasonably small screen, but it's very, very intuitive about how it, it works. And obviously, you've got the ability to scan the QR code and take the, the information offline onto your uh, your phone. Who who designed that? It's our, our software team. It's the same guys as, as are behind our, our, let's say, cloud system as well, uh, which is monitoring the whole system. So it is based on a lot of study. And in the beginning, we were also monitoring where the people are pushing and moving the buttons, what it makes more, more convenient. Like uh, in a one, one video, Tesla Björn was accidentally pushing the stop button when he was doing something else. So we removed the stop button to a more convenient place that you don't accidentally push it. So it's behind the development of the guys and experience. And one thing we did uh, quite early in the company that uh, we started supporting the employees to get electric vehicles. For them to actually, and the R&D guys especially, that they understand to who they are designing or when you're designing for yourself, you start appreciating the details. And this is, I, I think, the best decision we have made that early in 2019, almost everybody in the company was an EV driver. Now what we are about 300, I, I cannot say the percentage is the same. I think the amount is higher now, now in there. But I think it was really key to actually understanding the experiences on being an EV driver. It was actually this uh, QR code for re- getting the battery reading was coming from one frustrated R&D guy in our software team who, who had an early EV which didn't have any apps and, and he was getting frustrated. He doesn't know what happens. And, and that's when he came back to work and, and next day we had a prototype running with that. Fantastic. <laughs> You're obviously based in Finland, a traditionally cold country in the winter. And cold and EV charging are two things that don't tend to go together too well. Uh, talk to me about some of the challenges that you've experienced with chargers in cold weather. I think it, it's not really about the chargers actually like the cold weather. Uh, at least you, when you know how to design the electronics to handle the cold. But the, it's, it's mostly the problems in the cold weather is with the cars and the battery temperatures that the, uh, the powers get limited when the batteries are not warm enough to accept accept the power. Generally, I like to say normally that the batteries are like people. They like to stay in about 37 degrees uh, Celsius and, and, and being comfortable and nice. And if you're out of that range, you might, might start getting limitations, whether it's hot or cold. Basically, the, the cold charging, if it's not extreme cold, and then the charging cables get get limiting and the, the, they don't bend anymore, and you can <laughs> use them. But uh, but basically, reasonable uh, temperatures. There's not not uh, let's say clear difficulties, except the fact that uh, car batteries tend to be quite cold. And then when car car battery is cold, the car manufacturers decided to limit the charging. And they are, protect- they are protecting the batteries. It's not that the batteries are not capable of taking, but it might shorten the lifetime of the battery if you charge it with high power when it's cold. Okay, yeah, now that's that's fine. But if we go back to what you just said there, you, you've obviously said that under certain circumstances, you're going to get problems with some of the cables because uh, the fluid that's in there won't react well to the 
the cold. Or even even just the plastic. Uh, I mean, the rubber rubber cables get really stiff in minus thirty five. It's it it's <laughs> it, it, it is kind of hard to use kind of things. And when it gets, I would see if going below minus forty, then then you have limitations of how much the wear and tear the CCS plugs can anymore handle. Well, I was on a conversation earlier on this morning with somebody from uh, Minnesota. Uh, obviously, that's up in the uh, the north of America, and they do get some pretty cold winters up there. And obviously, we had the polar vortex um, last year. Yeah, this is, this is, a, this is a hard place. I, I think we don't know anything about cold in Finland when it comes to Minnesota. I used to work for Honeywell, and our division headquarters was in Minneapolis. And when you are there, in Finland, when it's really cold, you don't get wind. But in, uh, in in Minnesota, you get the wind from Canada blowing through your body at the same time when it's extreme cold. So, uh, yeah, this is extreme. <laughs> so from that point of view, given that you've got chargers which have access to a, a ready supply of electricity, would you consider creating a – what's the word I'm looking for um, – a cold version where you could actually say, right, if you're putting your charger, your S-series into Canada or Minneapolis or somewhere like that, we can use some electricity and actually pipe it around to keep the unit itself warm so that even in cold weather, you're not going to get uh, the whole thing freezing up or is that something that's... No, I, I think it's how we have a designer. I think for the charger itself, the temperature is not a problem. It's the usability of the cables. It's somehow limited. And I think the actually liquid cool cables might be even better if you have enough antifreeze in the liquid. So the liquid going and, and basing dry cables might be even stiffer in the in the cold cold weather. But warming up the cables will actually as soon as you start charging, it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm more concerned of getting to a charger and not actually being able to pull the cable out because it's frozen oh, in. Oh, you know? okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. True, true. And, and it's also vital that the people are maintaining the chargers as well. I mean, the owners of the charge points. I think in the early market, this has been a problem, but now the people are seeing the income coming from charging and, and taking better care of the charging sites. Absolutely. I mean, that was a big problem in the uh, the UK earlier on. People were- Somewhere in the backyard, I mean, uh, in the dark, behind the bushes. And, and then you, at least in Finland, you get no snow starts piling up. And in the worst place, the actually the maintenance guy is, is piling all the snow in front of the charter because he d- doesn't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But now that. they are in the front yard. I, I think in all the countries which are going to EVs, they, they are getting quite good positions in, in the parking lots, which makes also the maintenance easier and, and more reasonable for the for the owners. So, what sort of upgrade path is there with a? Can power, particularly the S series, is there a theoretical limit to the maximum power they can handle? I mean, I think on the website, six hundred kilowatts is it's a, it's a single unit that makes logistical sense to deliver a single unit. Uh, we are looking at actually, especially when the trucks are coming into the market, combining uh, the six hundred kilowatt units to an even larger power charger, which is pretty, uh, let's say, straightforward to do. Uh, but there is not many vehicles today which can charge. With 600 kilowatt or higher. Absolutely. <laughs> but as you say, I think when it gets to... Yeah, but uh, this is a, we are looking at then it's not a single charger. You are combining two units in the field. And, and that's that's actually 
uh, it doesn't make sense to make a physically single unit because you cannot transport it anymore in a convenient way. So I think what we have found out that our 600 kilowatt unit is basically the biggest with our tech that is reasonably handleable still with the normal lifting devices. Final sort of question on the units themselves. Talk to me about how pricing is handled. Is that something that is a function of the unit or is that something that is dealt with by a separate back office, which is which Ken Power have nothing to do with? Yeah, it's, it's normally the CPO handles the pricing, but uh, it's not as simple as that because we can provide many ways on, on, on how to do the pricing that we can, let's say, uh, we have a now Norwegian customer who is taking actually the flexible pricing based on the spot pricing on the market. That if the electricity is cheaper, they provide cheaper charging and uh, you could actually have different pricing models created based based on the business of the charging field or, or, or having many, many options because we provide actually the means of uh, if it's kilowatt hours or if it's time or you could sell uh, basically kilometers as well or miles if you would like to that uh, or state of charge that uh, here's a offer to you at, if you want to have charge to 80% that you get a special price. And you just state how many minutes you will stay there and the charger will handle the rest. Because we are also looking at, uh, we are, let's say, the most usable EVs. It's, it's, I would say 90, 95% we actually recognize based on the charging curve. We are automatic recognition of the cars and then we can make actually very accurate uh, estimate of the charging time needed in different powers. So you could have a, let's say, people could go there and, and have a some kind of a, like a, offer in, in Apple Pay that pay this or this many pounds and you get 80%, but you have to stay for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. So you could have very many different kind of pricings, but uh, I think at least in this early stage of the market, you have a lot of new EV drivers. People want to keep it somehow simple and understandable. You are buying energy and you're not paying for usage time of the charger or having any discount schemes with this kind of offers or I think it might get uh, new users confused. Well, it's interesting because as far as I understand, there's only really, prior to discussing this with you, there's a, my understanding is there's only really two pricing models that exist. You pay a fixed price per kilowatt hour or you pay a fixed price for time. So it's so many cents or pence per minute or so many pence per kilowatt hour. But the whole concept of Spot pricing is very interesting. I was actually ironically going to talk to you about that because how do you see something like spot pricing work? Because you've obviously said you can go out to the market and pick up a price for charging. Now, obviously, electricity or energy is, at least in the UK, is priced on a half hour basis. What happens if you're charging for 40 minutes? Do you pay the spot price for the full 40 minutes or do you pay a 30-minute price for the first 30 minutes and then a different price for the next however many minutes? I think that this might be a really interesting question to our CPO customer in Norway called Green Station who introduced this kind of a spot pricing idea that they want to have a fair pricing, whatever is the energy price. And how does it change if you go, at least in Finland, it's, it's uh, priced by the hour, not by half hour, but it still has, if the hour changes, do you get... A different tariff or can you if you start five minutes before the expensive time you get a cheaper rate i don't actually know how it is because i, I just 
heard about this that uh, they are using the flexibility of our products and their solution to actually offer this uh, flexible pricing. So the takeaway is that even though we generally tend to use fixed pricing or price per minute, the Kempower units can deal with quite a complex, different uh, range of pricing options. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think what is the most likely what that will happen at the slow times will get a lower price. It's kind of uh, different uh, rates for different time of the day to actually attract the people also to come to charts in the not so popular times. Maybe that would happen because you, you see that happening also already with the car washes. And it's not that different from, from that, that you know that in the evening in car wash might be cheaper, so you, you plan your visit at, the, at that time. And then you get more even load as well that people might be stopping more for charging during the time that uh, it might be more, let's say, economical. Uh, let's move on a little bit. The units that were installed recently at the Paisley Pair in Brackley, I went up there for the opening, very nice units. They were rated uh, with charge, say, 4.46 out of 5 with the highest accessibility score recorded on the UK network. Talk to me about accessibility at the charges. Was that something that came out as a result of the way they were designed or were they designed specifically to allow easy accessibility? It's, uh, easy accessibility was one point and, and it was also the convenience and looking at that the cables are not hanging on the ground, which is really hard if you are if you have a, like a wheelchair and then getting past that is, is, is almost impossible if you have thick charging cables on the ground. And looking at getting an easy access is, is actually a wider uh, idea that we wanted to make it convenient. And there is even more work to be done with that, making maybe moving, moving maybe the start buttons a little bit lower to make it even more convenient and, and making more, let's say, recommendations on how to build charging sites. But uh, it is one of the topics we, we thought about. Now, you mentioned earlier on when we talked about the user design that because everybody um, in the company who's working on this actually has their own electric vehicle, they were able to feed the requirements that they have into the design. Do you have anybody on board who has uh, a disability or who has accessibility issues who was able to help some of the thinking in the design process? Uh, I think we have some colleagues who have children with disabilities, so they, they have a very clear view where you can get with the wheelchair and not. not uh, direct employees, yes, there is some, but not as Well, I think we could have somebody with a wheelchair, but we don't have at the moment. But I know at least my, one of my close colleagues has a son with a disability, and then, then it actually makes all the sense, actually, to gather mm -hmm. the information from the people who know what they're talking I was speaking to one of your guys in the UK at the opening of the Paisley Pair, and I said to him, you know, these units are excellent. Why are they not everywhere in the UK? So why are they not everywhere in the UK? What's stopping it? Uh, I think it's coming. You will see more and more. So it's, it's, a, it's a question of time. Uh, I think there will be more. So that's... I think this is a very, very positive movement what we've seen in UK and uh, throughout the Europe that I think it's it's a busy time for charger manufacturers whose products people appreciate. So uh, you cannot fulfill the, all, all, all the world's needs in a mm -hmm. couple of months. Uh, okay, well, let, let's just dig into that a little bit because you've been in the UK market, when was the first 
hub opened um, the first page, the first Osprey one. Oh, 21, I so last year. So you've been there a year, and to my knowledge, the only CPO in the UK that has purchased the S series is Osprey. So why is that? Is it that you haven't yet approached other CPOs, or have they approached you and you've said no? We need to get a footing with Osprey. What what's actually stopping? other CPOs from coming to you and saying, we need these in now? Because there are any number of hubs that have been added since the very first uh, one that Osprey put in, and none of them have got the S-Series models in there. Uh, of course, we had a new player, a uh, new kid in town, and, and that affects that thing. But uh, wait a couple of months, you will see other other CPOs. I cannot comment on everything yet, but uh, I think there will be others as well. So what is the roadmap for Kempower as a business? Will you diversify? Are you looking at maybe buying other charger manufacturers, going into providing charging as a CPO yourself? What, what's the what's the roadmap? I think we will stay in the corner of, of being the company behind the CPOs there, rather than stepping on the toes of, of our most important customer group. From that point of view, that uh, there is at, at least no clear plans of becoming a CPO on on uh, product portfolio, uh, we are thinking about uh, things around the higher powers. This, of course, comes with the trucks coming into the market. I don't know if you see that in UK, but we do see that, especially in Sweden and, and Norway, uh, that uh, electric trucks are moving quite fast into the market. They are still small batches because the manufacturers are not able to deliver yet because that's just started. But uh, I think there's a lot of development and uh, when you look at that, you have a 800 kilowatt hour or megawatt hour battery banks. Uh, and basically a truck driver has like these 45 minute breaks, what you have to take. You should be able to charge your battery during that time. And that will require new things around. And there's the new standard coming, the megawatt charging standard, which might increase the charging speeds up to over three megawatts. First, probably reaching, let's say, one, 1000 kilowatt megawatt range. So I think a lot of development is on that. Then, of course, the, I think in the rest of the Europe as well is looking at more this kind of payment terminals, payment solutions. I think from the usability point of view, harmonizing the payments. And it's quite kind of wild west today with different apps and different tax and things. And for me, being in the industry, it, it seems quite straightforward. But trying to explain that, that to a newcomer, it, it's not that simple. I think in none of the markets is very simple when it comes to uh, roaming prices and prices in general and, and what apps and what, what tax you have in different uh, service operators. So I think uh, common payment methods is, is one topic where, where we see development happening. Well, that, of course, brings into play the whole concept of the easiest way of doing it, which is plug and charge. Are your units plug and charge compatible? Yeah, uh, it's coming and it's in the roadmap. And, and we are basically also looking at the, when do the cars with the real plug and charts use, uh, let's say, uh, functionality come. And then it's not only the charger, it's then combination of CPO software and the charger. That uh, Also, the CPO side needs to be able to handle plug and charts before they can move. So it's a, it's a combination of things. And uh, we have first cars now introduced that are plug and charge capable. And we are following that very closely and, and bringing this. But it's not really that 
the car and the charger are plug and charge, and also the payment uh, operator, the mobility service provider needs to be capable of handling that. So it's a combination of things. And uh, I would say that we are ready as the market is ready. Uh, all right. So I, I am a Tesla driver, though. I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Close Tesla network is, is that's fairly easy to do when you actually have all the data of the car and you are actually able to read uh, things from the car. We were actually thinking about bringing the auto charts into the market in the first place, but then some car manufacturers started limiting the visibility of the car IDs and, and the MAC addresses of the cars, and, and it became impossible to use so-called auto charts function that you, you read that just the ID of the car and you the ID of the car as a recognizing method. But there was some, maybe people thinking about the personal data that is the car part of this GDPR thinking. And then uh, some car manufacturers started preventing identification of, of the individual vehicles and, uh, let's say, swearing in the name of, of plug and charge. I'm driving one of those vehicles that can't do plug and charge for exactly the same reason that you've uh, you've talked about there, which is a little bit That's annoying. exactly the car which started changing the IDs uh, actively and then also the auto charge function. What we are actually going on that we do have recognition of vehicles, let's say, in bus sites. The bus operators want to know that which individual bus is charging and how it is and, and basically looking at, uh, let's say, battery capacity things and, and things around that based on the individual vehicles. But that's not, uh, let's say, consumer cars where the rules of GDPR and things are, are more strict. But in professional network, we are recognizing the cars automatically and actually our cloud is then telling that this bus A or bus B, how it's behaving in different days. And Talk to me about sustainability at Kempower. Your T-Series mobile charge, which you mentioned at the top of the uh, recording, are already, I believe, 99% recyclable, which is great. How's that looking with the other units that you produce? It's it's fairly similar numbers. It's just that we have proof because there's a third party who has made a study with T-Series, which was easy to do because it's a movable, movable unit. But when we are using actually the same parts, same principles, I would assume that it's around the same range or higher. So it's uh, it's fairly important for us being we are in the sustainable industry and being able to actually meet the goals. What would be the stumbling block there? I mean, obviously, 99%, that's great. Why not 100%? What, what were the challenges in doing that, do you know? I think the, you can almost recycle anything in the world today, but it, it becomes also that it's not any more economical when the quantities of certain materials is very low. Very low that you cannot really harvest the materials anymore to use. So it, it's more about that it would cost more than, I think more and more of this recycling ideas is, is uh, actually rooting around the money, what is uh, affordable. A couple of takeaways for me from this conversation. Firstly, Kempower made sure that all employees drive electric vehicles, especially those in R&D. They found this was the best way to ensure that they knew the issues and problems associated with, say, the design of the interface. Secondly, I was impressed with the fact that Kempower software can handle multiple different methods of creating a charging tariff. Tommy mentioned the spot pricing method. I, I've got thoughts on that particular method and whether it's right for everyone, but that's a topic for another time. Anyway, many thanks to Tommy for his time and coming to chat with me. If you want to find out more about the company and its products, there's a number of links in the show notes. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with you listeners. 
This combines two things I find fascinating, solar energy and the Roomba vacuum cleaner. It's a self-propelled, solar-powered weeding machine based on a Roomba. It's called the Turtle, and it looks just like a Roomba, but with slightly higher wheels. The idea is that you weed an area of garden, ideally an area that's relatively flat, put down perimeter guards, and let the turtle go. It comes out for an hour or so every day, and it grooms the earth it passes over. Anything it detects that sticks out of the ground is deemed to be a weed, and is locked with a trimmer attachment. As it's completely solar powered, it needs no maintenance or handholding over the season. The only thing you might want to do is check the trimmer cord to make sure there's enough left. What a brilliant idea. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging or participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use, with subscription plans for enhanced features, such as using ZapMap in-car, on CarPlay, or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingsEV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link is in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? Well, if you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings and you can do just that. ko-fi.com slash evmusings. I have a couple of ebooks out there if you want something to read on your Kindle. So, You've Got It Electric is available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. So, You've Gone Renewable is also available on Amazon for 99p, and it covers installing solar panels, a storage battery, and a heat pump. Why not check them both out? Links for everything we talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingZV with the words finish load balancing. Hashtag if you know you know. Nothing else. That's two ends in finish, by the way. Thanks as always to my co-founder, Simon. You know he's very keen to bring all sorts of sporting elements to every aspect of his life. He's a big fan of competition in whatever he does. His latest initiative is to gamify public transportation. He's doing this down at his local council depot where they store the public transport vehicles overnight. If you have a, let's say, bus depot full of satellites like you have personal car charging, you deal with it's like a bowling alley for a bus driver. Thanks for listening. Bye.